0: You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network.
1: Good morning again, Real Presence Radio listening family across the network. We're broadcasting here in Dickinson, North Dakota today, 101.9 FM. We're at the Church of Queen of Peace I'm not sitting by myself. I'm here with an amazing woman, friend, sister in Christ, Amanda Ellerkamp. I'm Kelly Schneider, and we are moving right along. We're in the second half of the show so fast and we have an, um, another amazing guest saints peter and paul just interceded when aaron was lining up the show great. because that's the only way this could so all be put together beautiful so we've got dr dr lavoy on dr gilbert lavoy on next uh who we're going to bring in and just can't wait to hear from mm-hmm. him dr lavoy has has just recently released a book called um the shroud of jesus dr lavoy welcome to real presence live uh, let's let's dig right in. Let's get started. Uh, as I introduce you, Dr. Lavoie, you are an, an internal medicine physician. Um, I want you to to lead from there uh, and talk a little bit about about what you're here to talk about today.
2: Sure. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you. And uh, I I've got uh, well I'm going to be talking about my book, The Shroud of Jesus. I am. Uh, be- I'm, as you know, noted, I'm a physician, and uh, I've been studying the Shroud for about 45 years. I have to say that when I started uh, on the Shroud, I, uh, studying it, I was, I, was, I was a skeptic. I realized uh, that uh, I wasn't sure what it was, but then I started studying the blood marks, and I came to the point of understanding that, indeed, there was truly a crucified man in the spot. In fact, every presentation I've always made no one ask me that question once they see the forensic they're so powerful um so i uh began uh, uh, i looked at the uh the shroud and uh and then i looked at the, to tell people a little bit about it actually the shroud is a cloth that's 14 feet long it's about three and a half feet wide and on this cloth is the image of a, the front and back of a naked man and there's blood marks on it that are consistent with what we read about in the Gospel of John uh, regarding his crucifixion, scourging, crowning of thorns, spear in the side, all of that blood is there. Uh, And it's been discovered that definitely that is truly blood and it's it's definitely consistent with that of a crucified man. Now, uh, after studying this for a, a number of years, even though we had all these remarkable things, this wonderful image and these blood marks, I I really came to the conclusion that there was nothing on this cloth that could ever convince me that the the shroud is actually uh, an an image of the the moment of the resurrection. Uh, Until one day, uh, I was studying some of the blood marks, and I I discovered something quite remarkable. Uh, The blood marks are consistent, of course, with a man who's been laid out between these cloths, However, the image itself is that of a man who's not laid out. In contrast, he is upright as if lifted up in midair. And that, when I discovered that, I was absolutely awed. I remember backing out of the room where the photograph was and just realizing it was sort of my epiphany that's saying, this is indeed the moment of the resurrection that's recorded here because of the upright man. But I... i I had some trouble with the the fact that he was lifted up as if he was in midair and uh i i i really i thought if he was resurrected he should be standing didn't know where to look and finally i decided to go to the gospels and i began by looking at mark luke and matthew and found nothing about a lifted man like this and uh so then i went to john and in chapter 12 verse 32 Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And I said, my gosh, Jesus is saying that, and it's a perfect description of what I'm actually looking at on the Shroud. And so uh, then I pursued that uh, and found later that when Jesus talks about being lifted up in the Gospel of John, he's referring not only to being lifted up on the cross, but lifted up in resurrection Ascension and ascension back to the Father. So, with that, I then um, I realized that forensics I couldn't do. I couldn't pursue this with just forensics and a medical perspective. I had to really dig in and learn more about the Gospel of John. So, actually, I took two years of uh, graduate courses in biblical studies, and then uh, studied the Gospel of John for ten years and discovered how well, and you, you really can't understand the Shroud of Turin without uh, combining that with the Gospel of John. And that's what the book's about. The Shroud of Jesus is about that as well.
3: Wonderful. That wow. is just fascinating. Totally. Uh, Dr. Lavoie. And I'm, I'm kind of curious for, to share with our listeners, because you said you started it as a skeptic you know, that you started looking at this, but you've been studying for 45 years, so what prompted you to begin this deep dive, this process of looking at the Shroud of Turin?
2: Well, it was actually uh, a a particular blood blood mark that no one understood. It was an off-image blood mark, and uh, I asked all the experts at the time, I said, where is this coming from? How did did this happen? And then uh, one day I took the uh I, I i try actually I, I studied it for about three years couldn't figure it out and one day i had a full size image of a copy of the shroud in my home someone had let me borrow it and uh i placed it over myself and then i realized uh, exactly where that came from and it was totally consistent with a man who had been in the crucified position and the blood had actually come down his arm around his the back of his arm and i could see that it was definitely that of a crucified man that's where i started it was with that particular blood mark and then one thing led to another i made other discoveries and so forth and then i, I sort of i got hooked huh. I, I uh with a, what, what are you going to do when you have a man who's definitely crucified what you have to pursue that especially with this magnificent image as well and yeah. uh so that's that's how i got involved
1: Dr. Lavoie, how were you first introduced to the shroud? You, I mean, as just um, knowledge of it through through your through your own personal faith, or were you on pilgrimage and actually saw the, the the true shroud of Turin? Or how how did that come about for you that first ignited that that question of what's this all about?
2: Well, it was by accident, or maybe not so much by accident. <laughs> I was uh, at uh, Boston College and in, the, in uh, and I went, to, uh, as a freshman, I was in pre-med, and uh, I went down to uh, into, into the city, and I came to this little bookstore with a low ceiling, and I walked in there, and I saw in the back of the bookstore a book called A Doctor at Calvary by Dr. Pierre Barbet, who was a French surgeon, and I picked it up simply because I saw a doctor, and I thought, a doctor's looking at the crucifixion, so I picked it up and bought it, went home. Threw it on my desk in the dorm, and then finally in the summer I read the book, and I was amazed to find it was it was really about the Shroud of Turin, which I had never heard about in my life. I was nineteen, and uh, and then I sort of forgot about it. And then uh, I went to medical I went to medical school, and training and so forth, the service and all that. And I came home, and I was uh in my uh about 36 years old i was actually uh reading the, the boston globe and there uh i saw the picture of the shroud and they were going to be showing it that uh fall in 1978 so i just decided uh, i would go and look mm-hmm. at it see what this was all about that's uh, that's that's sort of the that's how it all happened <laughs> wow
3: it's it's amazing uh doctor and and just to see of like those little sprinklings again of how god plants (laughs) that as you said accident but probably not accidental you know of of how you're introduced uh to the shroud so maybe just for our listeners who this is new and they're maybe hearing about the shroud for the first time or they don't know much about it um what are some of the things that you would say to to people like what do we know about the shroud There's still you know, um, much unknown, but there are some things that we do know, and certainly you know much of that from um, all your years of studying it. So what do we know about the history of the shroud that would be important for our listeners to know?
2: Well, the shroud, from the point of view of, of, of hard history, it, it starts, uh, we find it in in the west in, in the 1350s uh, in Leary, France, and then from there it goes to... Uh, uh, finally, ends up in Turin, and then finally, it's given to the to the Catholic Church around the 1980s. Uh, prior to the 1350s, we have a spotty history that brings us back into the East, uh, brings us way back into a legend of uh, King Abgar. How that was that, that this uh, image was brought to him like first century, and that it disappeared, and by the fifth century, it was rediscovered and then it ended up in, in Constantinople well, uh, about the 10th century, and by the 12th century it seemed to have disappeared, and then it ended up it landed all of a sudden in uh, thir- in uh, Lirie, France in the West in 1350. Uh, what's uh, important, though, is that we do have uh, really hard evidence uh, called pollen spores that show us that the uh, these are pollen grains that are on the shroud that were discovered by a fellow by the name of Dr. Max Fry, whom I met in 1978, and we know where the shroud has been from the fact that it literally carries an itinerary, and it shows us the shroud is not only in Europe but all the way back into in in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, there's also there are and there's other archaeological evidence that shows this is really an old cloth as as well. It's it's, it's really uh, it's two thousand years old. There's been other studies that demonstrate that carbon dating came in 1988. But that has been, uh, it's, 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 we find out now that the statistics don't hold up, and uh, that test is does not hold up at all. But other tests definitely show that the shroud is is two thousand years old, along with archaeology. Uh, now, um, the other the other thing is that. Uh, the shroud. You know, I just like to let the audience know as well. Uh, the shroud of Jesus. Uh, what we did during this period of time, and late as I've been studying this, we uh, had an artist who is a uh, by the name of Pablo Eduardo, uh, well known and international artist. And he, uh, I showed him my evidence. He saw what I what I had. He agreed with me, and we created. Uh, work for three and a half years, we created a new sculpture, uh, a sculpture that's never been done before, of the man of the shroud who's upright, as if lifted up in midair. dr Lavoy uh, i'm
1: going pause you i'm going to pause you right there, Dr. Lavoy, as you t- talk about the midair because we need to take a little break um, to recognize our, our uh, supporters, but we're going to be right back with you, and we 're going we're to pause you and pick you up right there
0: Thank you. Stay with us, there's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network.
3: Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. In addition to eye exams for children and adults, Lumen Vision provides custom contact lens services for patients with keratoconus, severe dry eyes, and hard to fit prescriptions. These specialty contact lenses can be made for single vision, astigmatism, and multifocal prescriptions. For more information about Lumen Vision's contact lens services, our website is www.lumen.vision.
4: Uh, I remember even during that time, and, and this was uh, during the beginning years of John Paul II's pontificate, and whenever I heard him on TV, because he was always in the news, especially with his travels in Eastern Europe, Poland and all, I, I would hear the things that would come out of his mouth, and I would go, there's no way this person is not close closer to God than I am, mm. uh, you know. So I always had this sort of secret respect for uh, for John Paul II. Of course, I never said this to any of my brother <laughs> brethren friends, you know.
2: You wouldn't dare. No,
4: of course not. But I... I, I I don't mean to disparage them because they taught me to love the Scripture. And interestingly enough, even though they they do not believe in the real presence of Christ in the sacrament, they had communion every Sunday. And so they really taught me to love the Lord's Supper uh, and to love the Scriptures. And so I'm really thankful to them for that.
1: Let us run to Mary and ask her little children, cast ourselves in their arms with a perfect confidence. St. Francis de Sales. Join together with families across the local area for the rosary, nightly here on Real Presence Radio. On Wednesday through Monday nights, tune in at 8 p.m. Central and on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Central. Gather the whole family together and pray this powerful prayer with us. Join us for the rosary Wednesday through Monday at 8 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central here on the RPR Network.
0: you're listening to real presence live on the real presence radio network join in the conversation on our facebook page or on twitter and be sure to like and follow us for more great catholic content now back to the show
3: listeners thank you for staying with us uh, real presence radio live this is amanda Ellercamp with my co-host kelly schneider we are coming to you live from queen of peace parish in dickinson north dakota southwest north dakota of our listening area, and we have uh, uh, with us on the air for this segment Dr. Gilbert Lavoy, who is a physician who has done significant forensic and spiritual uh, research into the shroud of Turin. And so, uh, Dr. Lavoy, right before the break, uh, you were talking about again this evidence uh, that we know why we know that the shroud is real Um, in this again what you discovered of it being this image of a crucified man being raised up so let's go back take our listeners back to there as you were explaining that to us and how that evolved into a statue being made
2: sure and uh well the uh, (coughs) one of the things that i was very much interested in was the the blood but i realized the blood alone Uh, and the image alone was not telling me that this was the moment of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, by accident, I realized that the man of the shroud, uh, the actual image, is in contrast to the blood marks, blood marks showing that he was laid out, but the image is that of a man who is lifted up as if in Mm midair. And I was commenting that we had then uh, decided to do a sculpture of of this uh, of the of the upright man and I had uh, Pablo Eduardo a international uh a sculptor uh, do this work And over a three and a half year period we created this beautiful sculpture of the upright man of the shroud it's uh, presently uh uh now in uh, Ave Maria University uh and they're they're preparing a place for it and there and uh now uh some of the things uh, that come to mind, especially with uh, the, the name of your uh, of your podcast, the real presence. I think of, I just think about some of the blood marks on this cloth, and I, I have to mention that we do uh, have the real presence of Christ actually on this cloth. We have his blood; mm-hmm. it's the blood of atonement, and it's mm-hmm. real and it's there. It's just uh, marvelous, and there's a. Full story that goes along with that entire with the blood of atonement from a jewish perspective and that's all in the book the shroud of jesus um so that's a uh, that's something there's there's a lot so we cover so a lot of material we cover uh the fact that the uh the blood the uh the image is uh, not a painting uh we mm-hmm. definitely should demonstrate that the uh it is <clears throat> the, the shroud is definitely that of a crucified man. Uh, we show all the details that tell us that. We, uh, we basically uh, then find ourselves with uh, discovering the upright man and we just invite when I did that, I ex- began exploring uh, the Gospel of John. And as I mentioned, I took courses to, to, uh, and study the Gospel of John for 10 years. And from that information, uh, we have the last six chapters of The Shroud of Jesus, which delves into the, the discovery of a wonderful mystery that's been there for 2,000 years. It really, uh, it's not nothing new, but it's, it's, it's new from the point of view of understanding what John is actually saying.
5: Uh-huh. And
2: uh, what we have here is Jesus actually predicted an event. He predicted what we're seeing on the shroud and uh and john and john ingeniously uh basically writes about this but he cannot talk about a, a an image uh because if he did uh we know from from understanding the jewish laws and so forth especially at the time of Jesus, and even today that they were not allowed to have anything with an image on it because if they he mentioned an image at all, it would be literally destroyed they anything mm. with hand or foot would be considered something of uh, of of idolatry and be, mm. it would be destroyed and thrown into the dead Sea that was, was uh, we we learned that from studying the Mishnah and which is an ancient book an ancient book regarding jewish Jewish customs and so forth so uh John had to be very careful in how he left his message that the shroud does exist and in in reading the book uh one can start to discover how that was uh how that was discovered and found it was it took years and years to find the wonderful thing about that is that this has now been looked at by a wonderful scholars such as scott hahn mike aquilina uh, and other, and other uh, scholars with regard to the Gospels, and they find nothing wrong with what I'm saying. In fact, uh, they just see it as new insights and evidence. So uh, it's uh, so that's all included in uh, The Shroud of Jesus uh, in the last six chapters of the book.
1: Dr. Lavoie, I would imagine the journey of writing this book was one, uh, was very... Um what's the right word but spiritually intellectually emotionally j- just a huge um, a, h- a huge pivotal point of your own personal life i, I mean i just
2: it was exhilarating <laughs> <laughs> love it.
1: that's the right word thank you i just i i just would love for you to take our listeners through that because I mean, uh, we know that people are going to now go onto Amazon after we're done talking about this. All of our listeners are going to go onto Amazon and they're going to figure out how they can get this book. And I would love, Mandan, and I would love for you to share what this did for you in writing it and what you're hoping to give to the reader through it.
2: What you discover, well, unfortunately, I, I was a man of faith, but I was a skeptic. And fortunately I was a man of faith because I didn't need the shroud for my faith so I was really a skeptic when it came to the shroud so I was very very careful in everything I did because I never wanted to present something that was uh, not true mm-hmm. but in, in as I went along I discovered one thing after another and another and another and it came to realize that what we're looking at on this cloth we're realize, we realize now what we have is not only the we have the blood of atonement, uh, Jesus' blood of atonement, but we also have this image, the upright man, and the image, the lifted man of the shroud, with that image, we have uh, we have Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection and ascension back to the Father. Uh-huh. So what we have on this plot is the entire story of salvation, <laughs> which is just our salvation, in fact, and uh-huh. it's a wonderful thing to know, and what it does, this whole thing is a truly, what we call, a miracle. John calls it a sign, and Jesus calls it a work, and Jesus gave us that work, because he wanted us, the reason why he did the works and did the miracles, for for two reasons. He wanted everybody to know that he came from the Father, and that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. That's Mm -hmm. why he did the works. And now we have the true work, one of the most important works, the Reflection of the Resurrection, and that work tells us how real God is, how real the spiritual life is, and how real eternal life is with God. That's what it does, and that's what I want to bring to the readers so they can enjoy the exhilaration that I've enjoyed all (laughs) these years. It's written like a mystery story, because it was a mystery story. It was a detective work, mm. and I think it's something that people can in, not only enjoy from a, from a detective perspective, but <laughs> enjoy from a spiritual perspective as well.
3: I love that, uh, Dr. LaVoy, uh, and for those listeners who are uh, maybe just joining us or didn't hear the beginning of the segment, I just want to give the name of your book again. So it's The Shroud of Jesus, uh, and the subtitle is And the Sign, John, Ingenuously Concealed uh, by Dr. Gilbert Lavoie, The Shroud of Jesus. And so uh, our listeners, you can Google that. You can find it on Amazon and other publishing sites. Uh, the, a fascinating uh, work that you have done, Doctor, of looking at this This beautiful gift uh, Mm -hmm. of our faith that we have in the shroud, as you were talking about, um, you know what it did for your own faith. Um, For our listeners, uh, in addition to to your book, what else would you suggest uh, that our listeners could do to learn more about the shroud? Um, You know, where where is it? Can they see it? What else could they do to enrich their own faith uh, in regards to this gift uh, that we've been given in the shroud?
2: Right. They could. um, First of all, the shroud is uh, is published by Sophia Institute Press. You can get it there as well as as Amazon and Barnes and Noble and so forth. Um, It um, what uh, they can if they want to see photographs of the shroud. uh, What we've done uh, was very uh, was a blessing. Uh, I worked with uh, a friend of mine. Um, We did a let's put it this way. The photos of the Shroud were done, best photos of the Shroud were done in 1978 by the man called Vernon Miller. He was a scientific photographer. We now have his entire collection, well, the best of his collection on the website ShroudPhotos.com, ShroudPhotos.com, and we put that together, and they're for free. People can get them for free, Uh, and uh, there are some rules, of course, but... They can and they're so the resolution is so good they can put them in their living room wow, and that's the whole world has that, that we've given that to the whole world and uh access to that and then uh people can go to it's the shroud is actually based in Turin Italy, and they have every every so many years they'll have an exhibit of the shroud in Turin, and those are wonderful to go to. They had one in two thousand two thousand ten two thousand fifteen. and two mm mm-hmm.
3: And Dr. Lavoie, I don't know that you were able to hear the end of our last segment before we had you on, but we were interviewing um, Monsignor Thomas Richter, who's the pastor here at Queen of Peace, where we're broadcasting. And in their um, newly renovated Eucharistic Adoration Chapel, they are going to have a replica backlit of the shroud that's going to be in the back. of their chapel, like a full size replica. So uh, just providential that you are our next guest on as Monsignor Richter mentioned at the end. So I just wanted to reiterate that for our local listeners, um, that that's something that they, they could take in uh, as well uh, okay. when that chapel is done here in just a couple of weeks. So this has, been,
1: yes. this has been fascinating, Dr. Lavoie. Thank you so much for your time this morning for sharing with our listening family uh all about your journey with this book uh i i, I was actually thinking amanda which one of us is going to order it and then we'll just share it yes That's yeah yeah, my yeah this should so, be our summer reading so, club, I think, yeah. so between uh we just now we feel privileged like we know the author so yes, beautiful thank you so much for your time for joining us uh and and we can't write, wait to read it
2: thank you and god bless you and all your listeners god bless
1: Thank you. We'll be right back, Real Presence Radio family, with our next guest, Mr. Jerome Richter, who will join us live in the studio. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show.
3: Good morning, Real Presence Radio listening family. Thank you for continuing to be with us on this beautiful morning of the Solemnity of the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. My name is Amanda Ellercamp. I'm joined by my lovely co-host and friend, Kelly Schneider. Uh, it's gone so fast. I can't believe we're to the last know. segment already. We say that with every guest. We need more time. We need yeah, more time. So uh, we are coming to you live from Queen of Peace Parish in Dickinson, North Dakota and Southwest, North Dakota. And we are privileged to have in our studio this morning live, Mr. Jerome Richter. How are you this morning, sir?
6: I'm great, ladies. It's wonderful to be here. It's a privilege. Thank
3: so gosh. good. I'm so glad that you happen to be in the area and you were able to join us. So um, just real quick for our Listeners that might not know you, just tell us a little bit about yourself, Jerome, before we dive into our topic today.
6: Wonderful. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, my name is Jerome Richter. I grew up right outside the Bismarck area. Um, from there, went off to uh, college, then to the seminary for a year. Uh, found out that's not what the Lord was calling me to do, but uh, found my niche, if you will, in my calling in education, and then started teaching at St. Mary Central High School in Bismarck. Did that for eleven years, loved every moment of it, and then for the last twelve, going on thirteen years now uh, I've been at the University of mary doing a number of different things, and today I find myself as the executive vice president at the University of mary in bismarck north Dakota beautiful, beautiful. and and I, and I I don't think we're going to get kicked out of the parish here <laughs> I, I know the pastor <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm not 'm not going to say that he likes me, but he does have to deal with me uh, uh, and so uh, he is the seventh of fourteen kids, and I'm the eleventh. So we're seven uh, nice. eleven in the oh, family.
3: We should had slurpees to
6: celebrate. <laughs> exactly, we, with a, with some taffies. Yeah, some slurpees.
3: I noticed we we didn't have you scheduled back to back, so I thought maybe that was just to avoid a little
6: sibling
1: rivalry or, yeah. or something.
6: Well, there is no <laughs> real rivalry, right? Yeah, right. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to force it on you, but you, I know who's. Favorite, got it. New York.
1: Yeah. Right. Right, right, we won't yeah. talk about
6: that. Uh,
3: well, <laughs> um, so you wear um, you know multiple hats, and over the years, and now at the yeah. University of Mary, and changing roles. But um, Kelly and I were interested to have you on this morning because you, in the past, have been very involved with the Rising Senior Rome Pilgrimage that is run at the University of Mary. Um, and as as luck uh, would have it, Kelly and I both have daughters that are currently uh, in Rome on the yeah. pilgrimage. It was their last day today. They. They're going to come back home to us tomorrow. So we're anxiously awaiting to hear all things about their pilgrimage, particularly if they got to see the Holy Father today. And there's all sorts of excitement um, in, in this great feast and solemnity in Solemnian Rome. No. So tell us a little bit about maybe, how did you first get started in that, uh, in, in taking students to Rome?
6: Well, let me, let me start with just talking about today. Uh, so it's the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, as you guys have beautifully mentioned a number of times, but there's no place in the whole wide world, right? Where the Feast of Peter and Paul is more mm-hmm. important than in the eternal city of Rome. I mean, it's like the 4th of July Christmas, all happening at once (laughs) over there, right? They're lighting off fireworks for days on end Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. this is where the two princes of the apostles spilt their blood and are the seedbed for the church. And now we go to see Peter. Literally, we go to see Peter and these young ladies, your beautiful daughters, and 131 other Mm -hmm. young people just had the chance to go on the Scavi tour underneath St. Peter's to see St. Peter's bones. And then today, it's like it comes to a beautiful conclusion. After they've uh, seen the bones of St. Peter's, they've seen five other apostles throughout the city of Rome that they visited the tombs, they've had mass around all these things, they went up to Assisi, they saw St. Francis. All of a sudden they end it with seeing Peter again. Mm
5: -hmm.
6: But it's Peter walking around. It's it's Pope Francis, who is Peter, who is the vicar of Christ, who these young people at 17, 18 years old start to realize, holy cow, I am part of something that is beautiful, that is big, and here comes everyone. Right? Because they, they just went to Mass. They just went to Mass with Pope Francis uh-huh. together with their chaplains, with some of their teachers. And there's, there's just nothing better to see the universal nature of the church and how important it is that we understand ourselves as a, a, a piece of something that is much, much bigger than myself. But I myself have a part to play. And so, going back to the beginning of it, and I appreciate you uh, asking the question, Amanda, Um, This pilgrimage is only the second time since 2001 that I haven't been (laughs) with the students. And so it's been a little bit, uh, I have to admit, it's been a little bit hard uh, to to see the pilgrimage happen via photos (laughs) and and through a website. Uh, But it still uh, makes me so proud to see what is happening and how strong our leadership is in our young priest, how strong our leadership is in John Dinkle, who's uh, the representative from the University of Mary. And then remember, we have a home over there. So the University yes. of Mary has a campus over there. So we have a, a place that is theirs. And so we can fit as many as up to 150. And they have a campus so that they can stretch their legs. They can go out and they can play in the grass. It's safe. Uh, it's, it's a gated uh, community right on the edge of Rome. And so it's wonderful. It's It's like All things coming together. And then because it's our campus and the university is very generous to the high schools in this regard, it's affordable. You know, uh, what they're able to do in 12 days, if you were going with some other tour company, it'd be double the cost. You know, we're Mm -hmm. keeping it under uh, $4,000 and that's with paying the airfare. And let's just say, um, I don't write love letters to Delta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, I, always, I always joke with the parents. You know, there's that old song by Charlie Daniels, you know, the, the devil went somewhere. <laughs> and I know exactly where he went. He went to Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> yeah. And that's where Delta's headquarters is. <laughs> but anyway, so let's go back uh, to the beginning. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. I'm sitting here in the gathering space of Queen of Peace Parish, which my wonderful brother, Monsignor Tom, is the pastor. Mm -hmm. So the Rome pilgrimage, your daughters are in Rome because one man answered the call to become a priest, which is my brother, who then studied over in Rome, who then, my mom and dad, who are super generous and wise, said, all of you have to go and see your brother in Rome. Mm. So at 18 years old of my senior year, I went over to see my brother. And I spent eight days in Rome, and my life was changed. It mm-hmm. was changed because something was awakened in me. I always loved history. I was always attracted to, th- to, to the faith. But it was then that all of a sudden this happened. And then when I started teaching again at St. Mary's, I remembered back to my time in Rome. And I wanted to go back to Rome. And as a Catholic high school teacher, I wasn't going to all of a sudden uh, pay to go back to Rome. I was going to get a <laughs> bunch of students to come with me and go back to Rome. And so the very first time was in 2001. Um, I took the kids from St. Mary's. There was 27 or 28 of the kids, and I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Um, But the Lord did, Mm -hmm. and it was a beautiful time, and even though it was stressful, a month after we had gotten back, a number of my students came to me and said, Mr. We can't thank you enough. It was amazing. Mm. I still remember one young man, uh, Derek Koontz was his name. And he was not uh, uh, the angel type like many of us were in high school. (laughs) And he said, Mr. I I will never forget as we were at the Feast of Corpus Christi and we're leaving St. John Lateran having had Mass with John Paul II and he's on his Popemobile processing with the Blessed Sacrament and I'm running beside it 10 feet from him running beside it. There he is praying, adoring the blessed sacrament. And uh, me and nuns are running into each other. It was the coolest thing in the whole world. I was like with Peter. I was with Uh -uh. the Lord. And I'm rubbing elbows with nuns like it's a football game. (laughs) And it awakens something in this young man's heart that I am very proud to be part of the Catholic faith. And I'm proud to be faithful. Uh And, And you hope that sticks. Fast forward. From 2001, it's, uh, it was just at St. Mary's until 2009, and then Dickinson Trinity started coming. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, Bishop Ryan started coming in 2009, and then in 2010, Dickinson Trinity started coming. Oh and wow. then this guy by the name of Archbishop Aquila pulled me aside in 2011, 2012, and said, we can see what's happening with these high school kids in the Rome pilgrimage. You need to start taking Shanley from Fargo. Huh. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And he said, you'll figure it out. And we did. <laughs> Wow! And so now we have, on average, 140 to 150 uh, people, which is three full buses, Mm -hmm. and it's it's a bit of an army. When you're walking when you're walking through Rome, and you have 150 uh, kids from (laughs) North Dakota, the the Italians like they start screaming. the The barbarians are back. (laughs) The Visigoths here they come. (laughs) So, that 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 that's that's where we're at. But. uh, yeah, it's something just very very powerful. Yeah.
3: Yeah, beautiful growth to see that and um you know, I my I said my daughter my our oldest daughter is there now. Our oldest son went several years ago and I think just hearing you talk is some of the sentiments that he echoed in that of like <laughs> like yeah, like the nuns and I were racing to get up to the Pope and, you know, um, just all the sights that they get to see, which we can get to uh, in a little bit. And in the, the few minutes I got to talk to my daughter the other night, the one time she called home, which is fine. and like, oh, you know, no news is good news. But, mm-hmm. you know, she just casually mentions that they saw the head of St. Catherine. Nope. Day, you know, like it was no big deal. Uh, and so just, just beautiful,
1: you know, uh, in that. So, I I just can't help but think, like... Whoa, where you started and now it's like quadrupled in size, Jerome. It's just amazing. Yeah, just
3: just beautiful, the, the growth in that. And I think... Um, You know, being in the school and working there, and there's such an excitement for that, Yes, yes. you know, that it's something kids look forward to. I've had the privilege to take students to D.C. for the March for Life pilgrimage for a number of years and and seeing that change and grow. And then, um, you know, there's there's certain excitement around that and kids look forward to it. And, And just seeing that with the Rome pilgrimage, because... There's something valuable there, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, like it's not, the kids know it's not a vacation. It's not a trip. Yeah. There's going to be hardships. And we sure. tell them all those things. But the beautiful thing of it is that they're like, I want it. Yep. Right? There's that desire there.
6: Absolutely they do. So true. Yeah. They, they're, they're no different than the rest of us. We yeah. want to be who we were made to be. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes not that easy to get there. But that, that's like anything else in our life. And so I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm humbled to see what the Lord's done with it. And and, uh, here after break, I want to talk about what it's done for vocations. Um, I can name for you right now, just sitting here, probably about eight young priests, that it's because of their time on the Rome pilgrimage, That it all of a sudden sparked for him. Correct. And yeah. that's amazing.
3: Yeah. And in and the yeah. relationships that are made, um, you know, your, your good mm-hmm. brother, Monsignor Richter, earlier talked about having that relationship with Jesus and how yep. important that is, that that evokes that relationship with Jesus, the relationship with the church, the relationship with their chaplains, with their classmates, mm-hmm. with... You know, students from other schools, that that fellowship that comes, I think, is mm-hmm. also just such a beautiful gift um, that this pilgrimage is for our for our students. Totally. So uh, listeners, don't go away. We do need to take a quick break, but uh, Mr. Jerome Rector is going to be with us, and we're going to continue to talk about the rising mm-hmm. senior Rome pilgrimage right after we come back.
0: This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio
4: Network. What if you could earn a degree that offers the best of both worlds, an MBA and a master's degree in philosophy? The University of Mary offers one degree that combines world-class business training with a careful study of life's deepest questions through their combined MBA, MA, and philosophy program. By earning one degree in both philosophy and business online, you will rigorously engage the big ideas needed to address professional challenges. Visit CatholicProfessional.life. Hi, this is Ben Frost from Holy Spirit Church in Virginia, Minnesota. I work with adult evangelization. I'm also a father of five children. And for me, I'm just so blessed to have Real Presence Radio in our area. Because the reality is, is life gets very busy. Uh, The many blessings of working in the church and also raising five children and being a husband.
6: But sometimes I just need times to refuel and to just be present to the Lord. So for me, it's just such a blessing to go into my car in the busyness of my day and to turn on Real Presence Radio. And it really renews me. It fills me with the Holy Spirit It helps me to be a better father, helps me to be a better
4: husband, and it helps me to be a better worker for our church. So I'm just very blessed that we have Real Presence Radio and we continue just to pray for the Lord's blessings and support for all of their amazing work.
0: Did you know you can listen to all your favorite local shows like Awaken and Real Presence Live on any podcast platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Amazon Music? Just search for Real Presence Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future. And don't forget to give us a good rating so others can discover the shows. Listen to your favorite RPR shows anytime, anywhere by subscribing on any podcast platform. Just search for Real Presence Radio today. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. We are
1: back on the air and we're having a ball. There are some Rome pilgrimage stories that he's going to share with us and others that he's not.
3: not Oh, dear listeners, thank you for staying with us. Uh, We have a little bit of our show left. uh, We're sad to see it so quickly going this morning. We've had beautiful guests. um, And continuing with us in this segment is Mr. Jerome Richter. He is the Executive Vice President at the University of Mary in Bismarck. And we are visiting um, before the break, Jerome, about the history of the Rome pilgrimage, which really started in 2001. And here we are in 2023, um, and it's going at at, at such a a pace that you know, it's happening without you even physically being there this year, because you're here with us today, and the yeah. pilgrims are in Rome, uh, which I think is is a real testament to just the the longevity and and the fact that when you do something well, and when God is involved, mm-hmm. uh, he'll make it happen if he yeah. wants it to happen. So maybe uh, for our listeners that aren't familiar with the pilgrimage, um, a little bit about who goes, how long do they go, where do they go, what happens in these days
6: very good so uh we always try to put it into the same time frame so it's june 16th uh the students from the four catholic high schools in north dakota so you have saint mary's you have bishop ryan you have dickinson trinity you have fargo shanley and then we also will allow uh east grand forks mm-hmm. right so it's on the minnesota side but it's up in grand forks and uh, tim Brook, mm-hmm. tim Brook, a dickinson trinity boy is the principal up there and he came on the pilgrimage many, many years ago and always wanted to come with, and so I've always allowed him to bring five or six students with, especially if we had space. So we call it, right, the Rising Seniors Rome Pilgrimage for the Catholic schools in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. But we also have East Grand Forks. Anyway, um, from that, what we do is we have them come to the University of Mary campus in Bismarck Mm -hmm. on the 16th of June. Mm-hmm. And then for a day and a half, we do a full-scale boot camp training, here we go. Because when you're 140, 150 people, you need to be able to move dang near like a military unit. And mm-hmm. so uh, we have three buses, then we have a leader for each of the buses, uh, everybody so that we can know this, there, gets a number and literally like we're in the middle of Rome, we can count off and we can yeah. know who's missing and the, the students take it very seriously. We train them up on basic Italian. We train them up on the basic history. Uh, we teach them all how, how to enter a church appropriately, mm-hmm. right? Because mm. things are different over there. We, we, we explain to them how communion, uh, uh, the reception of communion works over in Italy because it's different than here. We don't, they don't line up. They just like keep going. <laughs> uh, we, oh. we talk about all of the history of the Roman Empire and how all of this is coming together. And so we get them well prepared, and then we send them back to their uh, homes and then they fly out from their perspective uh respective cities mm-hmm. and then we all meet over in rome and it's a miracle like this year that everybody made it and they made it on time and, and
3: no lost luggage it's wa- I, that was a miracle and i heard everybody's bags were there it's an, it's
6: incredible yeah. so then they get to rome our campus in rome and then from there they spend the first seven eight days Just in Rome, seeing everything, Rome, uh, going to an audience with the Holy Father this year because of uh, the Holy Father's health, they weren't able to. And then we head north after that to Assisi. And that's kind of, if you will, our headquarters for a few days. Mm -hmm. Where we go off to Orvieto, we go up to Siena, we go up to other cities. And almost all of them have a Eucharistic miracle Mm -hmm. that is connected with them. And then finally on the uh, 28th, we come back down to Rome. And then we spend the last day in Rome on the 29th, the Feast of Peter and Paul, have Mass with the Holy Father, and then fly back on the 30th. Now within that whole time, they're being taught by their own chaplains and own teachers. Right? And so when I'm with, right, I'm leading the whole thing and kind of taking the point there and I'm old history teacher so I love the historical side, but to have a Father Bauk who's our chaplain now at the University of Mary, who was a chaplain previously at St. Mary's, who is a graduate of Dickinson Trinity. Former
3: student of mine, right? yes. Yeah. So,
6: He's one of the best tour guides ever. And then you have uh, Father Gregory Crane, who's up at Bishop Ryan, uh, just a fabulous teacher. And you can go down the line with all the young oh. priests. And, and then you just, you let history and beauty speak to him. Pope Benedict said uh, a number of years ago, what is, what is the way that people are going to come to the faith? Through two things. Through beauty and the lives of the saints. Mm. And what are the two things that we're spending the majority mm-hmm. of our time with over there? Mm-hmm. Telling the stories of the saints. St. Saint Francis. St. Catherine of Siena. St. Benedict. We go up to Subiaco. Mm-hmm. We see in Monte Cassino, we see the spaces where St. Benedict was. Who brought the faith? The Benedictines brought the faith to Western North Dakota. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things. And it starts to speak to them. And they have to, they have to ask the question, okay, how do I, how, what's my part in this whole thing called... History and eternal salvation, etc. How do I fit in? And then they start to think about what particularly am I called to do? Yes. And so at 17 years old, going into their senior year, what should every mm-hmm. kid be thinking about and praying about? Lord, what are you calling me to? Yes. And so, like I said, I have numerous stories, but I think of uh, two of them that are really, really near and dear to me. Uh, Father Doug Krebs and Father Jordan Dosh. Mm-hmm. So these are two young men that I taught in high school took over to Rome, and both now, because their experience in Rome, they both know exactly where they were standing. And one was sitting, when all of a sudden said, okay, Lord, I hear you. Wow. I, th- I, I, need, I need to think about it. Now, I could go on with 10 others. Yeah. yeah. Jacob Dagley, and on and on and on. Anyway, now today, what is Father Jordan Dashton? He's the vocation director mm-hmm. for the Diocese of Bismarck. Mm-hmm. What is Father Doug Krebson? He's the canon lawyer. For the Diocese of Bismarck. And you start to see it come full circle. And then what was even more beautiful before those guys got those appointments from the bishop is they were high school chaplains who took their kids over (laughs) with me to see all the different sites. And so it's absolutely humbling to see 22 years of this happening and now having uh, the confidence... In the leadership that we have now, uh, le- as I said, because of the university's generosity, because of Monsignor Shea's vision and understanding of getting us a campus over there, we can do this.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And, it, and, it's, and it's, just, it's just really exciting. And so I've had the privilege, nobody's going to cry for me, but I've had the privilege of taking thousands of people over there. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think this last year, uh, I had the privilege of going three times because I took some donors, oh. I took the high school pilgrimage, and then I took uh, the President's Club to see my uh, nephew's diaconate ordination, mm-hmm. Stephen Vetter, who's now Father Stephen Vetter. But I think I've, I've been over there 34 or something times, and it doesn't get old. <laughs> Mainly because I'm with people who are able to see this for the first yes. time, and when you see it through their eyes, and you see the faith tangibly, mm-hmm. it changes everything.
3: Yeah. Beautiful, just a, just a beautiful um, testimony, a beautiful gift that we have here yeah, in, in our yeah. state in our diocese for our our young people to be able to you know take advantage of that. Yeah. So um, thank you, Jerome, for saying. Yes, yes, right, and having that yeah. vision and not not acting out of fear, but trusting in God's grace and direction yeah. when you first took students twenty two years ago, uh, just just phenomenal. Amazing. So, uh, we're going to just throw back to uh, the the headquarters. That Aaron's going to give us a preview of what's coming up next and later on Real Presence Radio.
6: Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
0: On the next Real Presence Live, Tuesday on the 4th of July, we will be having a Best of Real Presence Live episode where we will replay our best segments from recent Real Presence Live interviews. Tune in to hear from our great guests one more time. Then on Thursday, July 6th, your hosts for Real Presence Live will be Brad Gray and Janine Bitson coming to you live from the Fargo studio. They will be speaking of Bishop Fola, who is celebrating his 10-year anniversary as Bishop of the Diocese of Fargo. All this and more is coming to you on the next Real Presence Live. Back to you.
1: Mm -hmm. Here we are. End of the show it's been amazing we've had just a
3: uh, beautiful guest i just encourage mm-hmm. our listeners if um you know if you didn't have a chance to listen in you know because life is busy and sometimes you catch a segment just mm-hmm. to know that on our website uh on real presence radio the replays are always there and you can go back and listen to any of our our live shows and uh, the state segments you can listen live you can use the app um, and everything is, is there. So it's, it's nice. I know I've when I've missed
1: guests in the past and people, I just can go back and cool. listen.
3: So, yeah, I love that.
1: And with the Rome pilgrimage, there's a blog that, uh, yes. Jerome, if you want to mention that, the blog, if our listener wants to go see mm-hmm. the joy radiating from these kids, because there hasn't been a picture where they don't show joy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there's always smiling. Yeah, it, uh,
6: it's a very simple. So it's youmaryrome.com. Yes. So all, all together, you, Mary, Rome, dot com. So the letter U, Mary, Rome, dot com, And you will see the posts Years. that uh, uh, Mr. Dinkle puts up there. Because here's the thing that I didn't say, and I think the listeners would be interested in this. No cell phones. Yes. yes. Absolutely yep. no cell phones. Yep. No electronics whatsoever. No video games. No nothing. Mm-hmm. So these young people are going over, and uh, they really have the chance to experience each other, to experience the voice of God. And so... In that, we want to make sure that parents have a, at least a snapshot into what's happening. So you'd usually post a picture or two each day okay. and with a little note of what was happening. And then the parents uh, have done it for many years, followed along, knowing what the itinerary is, praying mm-hmm. the same Mass mm-hmm. just a little bit later, because they're seven hours behind here, yes. of what their young son or daughter just did.
3: Yeah, yeah. in the same saints,
6: the same mass, the same everything. It's it's just a a, a beautiful thing.
3: Yes, very very beautiful gift. And so today uh, we pray with our pilgrims. Kelly and I's yeah. daughters are over yeah. there on yeah. this in the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, uh, and praying for all those pilgrims as they travel back home tomorrow. Yep. Uh, yeah. Kelly, it's been great to be with you great. as always. Thank, Jerome, you, Jerome. thank you for joining us, dear listeners. We hope you have a beautiful solemnity, a beautiful feast day. Pray for us as we'll pray for you. Take care.
0: Real Presence Live, local, engaging,